You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Aloha, Reality Ohana, and thank you for joining us once again for Digital House Church on Sunday mornings. Um, I bet you wouldn't believe it if I told you that we have been doing this in this setting for exactly one year. Uh, Last March 2020, the very beginning, the first Sunday was the last Sunday. We didn't know it would be. Um, Obviously, none of us knew what this season would hold. That was the last time we met in person on Sunday mornings for church in the same way that we used to. Um, And so it's been a year. It's crazy. I cannot believe it's been that long. But what I do want to testify to is the way in which God has met with us and sustained us and carried us and led us despite feeling like we've been in the wilderness. And if you remember the Exodus story, when the children of Israel were freed miraculously by God from bondage in Egypt, they wandered the wilderness and they felt like, God, what are you doing? I want to go back. Like, where are we going? But if you remember, even if it wasn't the way they wanted it, what was God doing still? God was feeding them day and night with manna. Um, He was leading them with a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. And everything that he needed, he was providing. And he was leading them ultimately to the promised land. And I know it maybe has felt like that, but I want you to be encouraged and rejoice with me that God has been steadily leading us. And if you caught the big announcement on Friday... It's that God is continuing to lead us and provide and really start a new chapter in our church. And so what I want to do is actually uh, introduce myself for the announcement video that we showed on Friday of what God is doing. And so uh, love to grab your attention here and rejoice along with me as God continues to lead us into a new chapter in Reality Honolulu's story. Here it is. Aloha, Reality Ohana. I'm excited to announce that God is doing some really incredible things in our midst. And what I believe he's doing is starting chapter two of Reality Honolulu's story. As you know, the last few years since the start of the church, we have made our home at Aliolani Elementary School. And that partnership with Principal Joe and the staff and just what we've been able to do there has been incredible. It's been an amazing home. Over this COVID season, our dear beloved Principal Joe has been reassigned to Central Middle School. And in doing that, he asked if we would pray about coming with him to partner to see renewal, kingdom renewal, come to the school and the community. And church, uh, we took the staff here, we got to see the space, and it ends up that Central Middle School has an incredible space. An incredible place that we could meet and gather and incredible ministry opportunities, as you know, located downtown. And after praying and seeking the Lord, the staff and the board of trustees, we feel that God is calling us into a new home in a new season, in a new chapter in our church. And so Reality Honolulu, I am excited 
to share with you that we are moving. Our new home will be Central Middle School, located on the Pauly and Vineyard, right near the, the YMCA downtown. Not only will it be a place that we can worship, it's just a large auditorium, there's room to grow, but there's plenty of room for our cakey and youth. But not only that, there is incredible ministry opportunities to be the presence of Jesus in this space, specifically in this downtown area. We've already been dreaming of what if God would have us start a food pantry or food distribution, ways in which we can be the, the presence of Jesus and the hands and feet of Jesus on campus and in this neighborhood. And so church, uh, the, the latest news is that the DOE is allowing us to come back uh, summertime here, right when school gets out, end of May, beginning of June. Again, nothing's concrete. But in the meantime, we can do work days. We can install our stuff. We can make it a home. We can come and pray and worship in this space. Until we can regularly be here on Sunday mornings, we can uh, make it home. We can come and, and, and sow into this community. Church, I'm excited for what God's doing. I really believe that he is graciously and kindly leading us um, into a brand new exciting season. I'm excited to do it with you. Love you, church. Lots more to come. I'll talk to you soon. Aloha. Well, there it is. Uh, God is moving us, new home, new season, so much more to come, literally so much more. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to still be doing Digital House Church. We're going to be announcing and letting you know more ways in which we can start doing work days and sow into that school and that community and, and food pantry stuff and how that goes. Um, but also, if you didn't know, there is other stuff happening as well. Uh, we're, we're meeting in-person Easter. We're starting up equipping classes. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the meantime. And make sure you are uh, following social media. You are subscribed to our email newsletter each week and just tuning in each week so that you are aware of what is going on. Um, but without further ado, as always, we want to spend our time in the Word of God, allowing God's Word to speak to us and see God's character and God's heart come through um, in it. So what I would love for you to do, even though this is digital, is to join with me in grabbing your Bibles, as always, turn to Acts chapter 16, and Acts 16, verses 16 through uh, the rest of the chapter, through verse 40, is going to be our text. We're going to be finishing out the book, I mean, the chapter 16 of the book of Acts. Um, but before we kind of get into that and read it and, and see what God is doing, let me pray for God to speak to us through his word. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our midst. God, we can't begin to explain how in awe of you we are. The ways in which you've provided for us this last year, the way in which you're providing new places and spaces and new ministry opportunities for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And God, we want to spend just this, this time this morning in your word. And we, we ask God that your words, 
the God-breathed, God-inspired word would speak to us. Holy Spirit, would these words just jump off the pages into our lives? And even as we just read this historic narrative, I pray that we'd be encouraged by your power and your goodness and your grace and your victory. And that we would know that this is the same God that we serve, that saved us, that also in our own lives has the power to free us and save us. So God, would you do that? Would you use me as your mouthpiece? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Okay, so kind of how I, I would love to do this. I would love to just read along with you uh, a few verses, talk about it, pull some things out, and continue our way through the text. And my prayer is, as you see this kind of historical narrative unfold, um, it's a pretty exciting Crazy, wild, like if you were watching a movie, this would be a, a, a very exciting, like, you know, scene after scene, things are happening. That's what's going on here in these 24 or so verses. And so we're going to start by reading verse 16 through verse 18, picking up in the city of Philippi, where Paul and Silas and Timothy and our author Luke have been and are ministering, which we saw last week, uh, this, this new community, the start of the church, of the, the church in Philippi was started by Lydia and her family and, and the rest of those that were saved on the riverbank last week. And we pick up once again right after that uh, with Paul and Silas and Timothy and uh, Luke here, uh, we pick up the story in, in the city of Philippi. Okay, it says this, verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, right? They're going to, to pray again with the believers. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. And then finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Okay, so again, a new character, a new scene happens here. And we see again, there, there's this person, this woman here. And what we know about her is she is not a freed person. She's, she has a master or masters. She's a slave. And she has these fortune-telling abilities. And what we can glean from what happens is these abilities or the way in which she's making money for her masters is a demonically inspired supernatural gift or talent or ability that, that people come and she tells people's fortunes and somehow she, you know, knows these things. But we find out that it's a demonic spirit that she is actually uh, either demonically oppressed or possessed. And what happens is, is that first reading, even though that may be her life and she's a fortune teller and we don't know much about her, she is like what it seems like helping the cause, right? She's going around and she's actually testifying that Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy are servants of the most high God. And listen to them. The news in which they say is the way you get saved. So at an initial glance, 
you would say, what's the problem? Like, why is Paul getting annoyed? And again, we don't know the full detail here, but we, what we glean or what we can assume is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, because of wisdom and discernment and the Holy Spirit in them, they know that something's off and there's not pure motives, maybe ill intentions with what's happening. Maybe it's become a distraction. Maybe there's... Um, kind of more things happening that we don't know. But Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing something's off, detects or discerns, right, would be the biblical concept that God gives us discernment to know that there's something demonic. There's something that is opposed to the kingdom of God happening here. This is the devil. This is demons. This is demonic, right? There's this whole realm of the demonic realm and spiritual warfare. Um, this is kind of what we're seeing here, right? There's an enemy at bay that's, that's possessed or oppressed this woman, and she is now getting in the way, so to speak, uh, even though we don't know the full details of the kingdom of God going forth. And what does Paul do? Paul casts out this demon, he turns around, he says after several days, he was so annoyed, I'm sure there's more to that, um, that he wasn't just merely annoyed, but it was like there was a spiritual component and he knew that this was demonic, right? The Holy Spirit had given wisdom and discernment and he turns around and by the power of God in him, he casts out this evil or demonic spirit from this woman. And again, this isn't like the first time or the only time by any means. We see this throughout scripture. We see this a lot in the life of Jesus where he would interact with someone or a group of people uh, or there would be persons that were brought to him for healing or there was interactions and being God, right? He knew what was happening, that this person was demon possessed or uh, dem demonically being used or had ill, evil intentions. And so by the power of God, right, Jesus himself would cast out demons, would um, free this person from demonic oppression. And again, over and over, we have these examples. And so once again, right, the book of Acts being the continuation of the acts of Jesus through his disciples, right, the, the story of the kingdom of God is being continued. And so once again, we see that God even has the power over demonic forces, right? Again, this is one example of this woman that was de demonically being oppressed or, or used. By the power of God, she is freed and and for all intensive uh, purposes, it's thought here that not only is she freed, but she's probably believed. She's probably saved, right? If you read commentaries, it, it'd probably be like she's saved um, and she's freed. And so the story goes on and there's kind of consequences to what just happened. Verse 19, when her owners of this woman realized that their hope of making money was gone, hence... She lost the ability to fortune tell because that was demonically inspired. She no longer is under demonic use or presence. So she cannot do that anymore. And so once her owners um, find out that she can't make money, what happens? The owners, the crowds, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace, right? The public square, like where, where everybody is. This is where uh, commerce is happening, right? In Philippi. They dragged them publicly into the marketplace to face the authorities. 
And they brought them before the magistrates, right, the authorities of the city. And they said, these men are Jews. And they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And so as you see here, these guys are, are kind of hurtling some false claims and they're expanding on their story. They're not even saying, hey, I just lost my money because the, the, the woman that I had actually enslaved can no longer make me money. They didn't say anything about that, but they make it, they make it racial. They make it uh, uh, religious. They say, hey, these Jews that are from this far on land, they're, they're, they're messing things up here. Like this is a Roman colony. This is a Roman province. And so they're, they're building a case. It's a false case. It has no weight. But they're building this case to the magistrates for recompense, for punishment, for what um, Paul and Silas just did. And it says, but it worked, right? Verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates um, added to it, right? They ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, so like the heat just got really turned up. And again, uh, if, if you've been reading, in Philippi thus far, there has not been any persecution or pushback. Um, if anything, there's been a lot of favor, right? Because it started um, with the Macedonian vision with the man in Paul's vision that said, come, and they sailed across the sea, and the wind was at their backs, and there was traveling mercies. And so far, God has led them, and um, people have been saved, Lydia and her family, and this, this new church, this new uh, group of believers has started for the first time. And now there's uh, like, you know, people being freed from demonic oppression. So far, just amazing things. And now is where the opposition comes. And again, Paul and the early church, they are not foreign to this. I mean, the reason why the gospel is even spreading to the far reaches of the world at this time is because of fierce persecution back in Jerusalem that we studied last year. And we went through and we saw that there was incredible deadly persecution that was happening to followers of Jesus for preaching the gospel, for seeing the good news go forth. And so once again, like things come publicly to a head. And Paul and Silas get, get incredibly persecuted. I mean, this is brutal. It's, it's humiliating. I mean, right, they're naked. They're stripped publicly. I mean, they're flogged. They're, they're beaten. Um, they're beaten. They're bloodied. And then they get put in prison. And then, like, they're in the inner cell, which is kind of be almost like a solitary confinement. And then, and then not only that, but they get, like, their feet in stocks and, like, over their wounds. I mean, this is bad. This is bad. Doesn't stop there, though. God's not done. <laughs> That's not the end of the story. Verse 25, right there in prison. Nighttime now. About midnight, middle of the night, Paul and Silas, what are they doing? What's their response to their current situation? They're praying and they're singing hymns to God. 
And the other prisoners were listening to them. I mean, stop there for a second. In the midst of opposition and persecution this bad, what would our response be? I mean, you guys have to see like the heart and the loyalty and the commitment to their God, right? They were so transformed. They knew how grand and how big and how awesome their God was. And in it, despite like who knows what was going to happen to them? Would they have been publicly executed the next day? They did not know. But despite the fear, despite the unknown, in the midst of trial and tribulation and opposition, when they didn't know help was coming, they didn't know what was going to happen. What did they do? They turned to their God and they prayed and they sang praises and they worshiped. Right? The heartbeat. The heart song had to have been, God, our life is no longer our own. It's, it's been crucified with you and we will follow you. You are good and you are worthy. And it is a joy and an honor to live and serve you despite the cost. Because we carry the good news of our Lord that is good and it saves all of humanity. And we must not and we cannot stop speaking it. This is kind of where they're at despite their circumstances. What an encouragement for us. But then what happens is that they're doing that. They're singing. It's midnight. The prisoners are hearing, like very odd, I'm sure, for, to hear, uh, joyful praying and singing in a prison. But verse 26, suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains, chains came loose. Jailbreak. Like this is God <laughs> jailbreaking not only Paul and Silas, but literally all the prisoners in that jail. By the power of God, the prison doors flung open. I mean, look at that picture. Their hope was restored. Chains, bondage, persecution was stripped from them. I mean, I mean, look at that. And again, there is such a picture of the gospel there. That is what God does for you and I as well. When we're hopeless, when we're lost, when we're broken, when we're in bondage, literally in bondage or under control of sin and the devil and the flesh, prior to knowing Christ, we were all once in bondage. We were slaves to sin. Nothing in us could free us. We were led by and operated by our flesh and the enemy, but God but what did God do here and what does God do for us is that he literally breaks the chains of our bondage and the sin which entangles us. He forgives our sin. He frees us. He quote unquote flings wide these prison doors of our hearts and our lives and we are saved and we are made new. Again, that alone, that one verse could be a sermon. As you know, I, I'm, I'm going for it here. But this is the story we're reading that God not only frees uh, from demonic oppression, but now he is freeing. Literally, chains are falling off and prison gates are opening. Verse 27, the jailer woke up 
And when he saw the prison doors open, remember, this is his job to keep careful watch. He drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. I mean, he was literally like, if I don't, I cannot believe this happened. All the prisoners are gone. I'm going to kill myself right now because I know the fate that awaits for me in the morning hours when the magistrates find out that every prisoner is gone. I have failed and they're going to kill me anyway. So he's literally about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And Paul, what does he do? Paul's not out of the prison yet fully. He's still in the prison. He sees this. He shouts. He shouts to this prison guard. Literally his the prison guard that shackled him up. He says, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. We're all still here. Verse 29, the jailer calls, turn on the lights. He rushed in and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And again, he did this because before his very eyes, he had just witnessed the most unbelievable, miraculous experience. Not only was there singing and praise that turned into an earthquake that flew open the prison doors, but do you see there not only that, but look at Paul's initiation to, to just extend grace and to save this man. Like, stop, don't do it. We're here. Come talk to me. And this guy falls at his feet by the power of God and the grace of God that he's witnessed. And he literally asks, like, how can I have what you have? I want to be saved. Right? And then it was Paul and Silas. He gives, they give this opportunity here. They replied, verse 31. How, how, how to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. I mean, this is incredible, guys. Are you seeing this? This is all in the matter of, you know, Afternoon, evening, middle of the night here, like 12 hour period, all this has happened and God is showing up and making himself known. And by his grace, he's even saving the jailer and his family. Verse 33, at that hour of the night, middle of the night still, around midnight, the jailer took them and what does he do now? Instead of locking them up, his heart is changed. He's washing their feet, right? It says that they, they, uh, at the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized, saved, believed, baptized. The jailer brought them into his own home. Not only that, he sets a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his household. Guys, are you seeing the transformation? Are you seeing this? Sorry, I'm so excited. I just think it's unbelievable. I mean, it's totally believable with the Lord, but you know what I mean? This was the same man that put Paul's feet in stocks. God, by his grace, showed his power. He was offered 
how to be saved. He believed. He was baptized, publicly displaying. He was shown like, yes, my life is no longer my own. My sins are forgiven. I'm washed as white as snow. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Not only that, but this man then brings these prisoners to his home. And he brings them in. One of the most intimate things you could do in that culture and, and in our culture is just sit down in a, your home with someone and dine with them. And he brings this meal before them. And it says he's filled with joy because he now believes in God and his whole household does. Like he has seen and known and believed and already he is experiencing gospel transformation. I mean, think about that. He still doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He let all the prisoners go. Now he's brought them to his house. This is not proper jailer etiquette. This is how you lose your job back there, back then. This is how you get killed. But he is so filled with joy because he knows his God. I mean, do you see that? Despite circumstances, despite persecution, he is filled with joy. Doesn't even care what's going to happen in a few hours. He is filled with the joy of the Lord. It goes on, right? There, verse 35, when it was daylight, literally all this has happened in the middle of the night. The magistrates, okay, this is not good. The magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with uh, the order. And again, it's not good because they don't know the order, but they've had a change of heart here. <laughs> they say, release those men. Release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas can be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. Again, it's probably just because there's just been this miraculous freeing and power of God and this demonstration that's happening. And I think they're probably pretty scared. They're like, we don't want these guys in our jail in our city. Just let them go and have them go in peace. But I love it because Paul, uh, knowing Paul, he's a little feisty. He's, uh, he's, he's not... He's not okay with that apology. He's not okay with just silently being freed, but as the text goes on, he wants them to publicly free him. He wants his reputation to be made right, that he wasn't supposed to be even imprisoned in the first place. He wants proper apology to take place publicly. And so Paul says in verse 37, Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Paul's saying, I want justice here. He says, even though we are Roman citizens, you did this. And you threw us into prison. And now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. He said, no, that's not going to happen. Let them come themselves and escort us out. Again, Paul is asking for a wrong to be made right for peace, for justice, and for his reputation to not be marred. Like, I need to continue to preach the gospel, and I need you to clear this up. And then verse 38, the officers reported this. They took this, what Paul asked, back to the magistrates. And when they heard what Paul and Silas, and they, when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed, right? They didn't even ask that question. They didn't even know anything about him. They just believed the word of the slave owners and the crowds and all that happened. They believed them and it just, they, they didn't know about this. 
And so they did. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. Like, hey, we'll do this, but you need to go now. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, right, publicly, justice was served here. A wrong was made right. Reputation restored. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Okay, guys. The reason why also this section of scripture is so uh, bookended so beautifully is that what's the first thing? Do you notice this? What's the first thing that Paul and Silas do after this, this, uh, this night that was horrible? Right? It's obviously there's been freedom and justice and like they're, they're freed. But what do they do? They go to Lydia's house. And again, last week we learned that Lydia and her family and the women with her were the first believers in this city. And a church, a new community, a new Jesus following community was started in her home. That was where the first believers um, went. Even in the book of Philippians, in the beginning, he, 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 when he's writing to this church later, he, he mentions that I was with you at the start of it. And this is what Paul is, is alluding to, I believe. He's alluding to Acts 16 when, when Lydia and her family are being and, and, uh, saved. And now what does Paul and Silas do? They go to the church. Again, the church is only a couple people and it's at Lydia's house, but they go there in verse 40 and it says they went straight there and they met with the brothers and sisters that were there. Again, these are now the family of God. These are the brothers and sisters. And what a lot of commentators would say is there's more than just Lydia and her family. There's more than just the other women. But at this time now, the jailers here, most likely, right? His family, maybe some more of the inmates, uh, most likely the woman that was once demonically oppressed in slavery, she's here. I mean, <laughs> the church consists of this ragtag group of people that have a re really gnarly stories, really gnarly pasts. But God has saved them, freed them, redeemed them. No longer are they under the power of the devil. No longer are they lost. But now they believe in the God that sent his son Jesus to die for them. They're filled with joy. And now they're fellowshipping. Now they're together being the church. And guys, if there's not a more beautiful story and picture of how the gospel has the power to save anyone... He has the power to free anyone. How the gospel is inclusive. And now the church is made up of these same people that are, have an early past. That have done a lot of things wrong. But God's redeemed them and given them new life. And this is a new community. These are new people. They are born again and filled with the joy of the Lord. And what I hope that today would do would give you a picture in the type of God that our God is. You see his heart. You see his character. You see his ability. You see his power. You see his grace. And the same God 
who freed the slave girl. The same God who saved the jailer. The same God who makes new things out of broken things. is the same God that we love and serve and that saved us and desires to do that in our own lives. And so church, as we read this today and as we sit in our homes, I want to encourage you that our God is powerful. Our God is graceful. And that our God restores and makes new. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever's going on in your family's life, whatever's going on in your friend's life, your aunties, your uncles, whatever's going on in the world around us, God is bigger and he's able and he has the power over sin, death, and the devil. There's nothing too hard for our God. That in the midst of persecution and opposition, that God carries us and God frees us. Not only that is that God desires to make beauty from ashes, new things from old, a new community out of people like this and people like you and I. Guys, as we enter into this time of worship, I hope and pray that the word of God has stirred up a desire to worship our God now, to praise him for who he is and what he has done for us. To know that the same God here is the same God for you and I and your family and your friends and our community and our home. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this glimpse into a practical, vivid example of how the gospel saves how the gospel redeems, how the gospel uh, sets us free. We're reminded of all our stories. All, all of us have a different story and all of us, you desire to, to be characters in this story. That you desire, all, all of us listening, to believe for us to be freed from and saved from sin, and the devil, and wickedness, and opposition, all the things in this world that want to keep us from you. God, thank you that you desire to pull us close, to redeem us and save us and make us new creations and then set us in a new community as the body and the family of Christ. We pray that you would do that here in Honolulu here in Hawaii as it is in heaven, and you would do that in reality, Honolulu, in this new chapter, in this new season, that we would see, see you radically move and save and free many men and women in this city, on this island for your glory, and that many would come to know you, would be filled with joy and, and brought into the family of God. We pray this would come to pass in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. Let's prepare our hearts for worship now as we exalt our risen Lord.